Hey, Matt. Hey, Peter. I think we made it. <laughs> made it to Monday? I think we made it as like uh, as podcasters because um, people are complaining about our audio and I feel like that's a sign of traction. <laughs> I'll, I, I appreciate your perspective. Com- they wouldn't complain if they didn't care. Yeah, I mean, you, you must have hit some level of success, that's true, if people care <laughs> enough to to do that. So we are yeah. going to try extra hard today. Yeah, we are trying extra hard, and um, I do take some responsibility, because I think I forgot one of the one of the steps in the editing last time. But um, yeah, people are paying attention, because I got quite a f- few messages from people saying, love the podcast, please fix the audio. Um <laughs> apparently people are like audiophiles or something i i mean mean, perfectly honest i feel a little uh bit handicapped in the sense of like i cannot hear what people i can't hear what other people hear necessarily so i listen to it and i just might not be perceiving it but you're gonna run some pass filter thing or whatever that is and i'm going to sit very close to my mic and hopefully that you're gonna tape it to your face (laughs) yeah yeah with duct tape because this is like a four pound mic but we'll We'll do that. <laughs> yeah uh we'll try to do better sorry for we, uh we will sorry hopefully the content somewhat makes up for it but yeah come for the content stay for the content <laughs> don't leave <laughs> for the audio <laughs> yeah we can't keep you for the audio <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome yeah so uh it probably won't be much better this time actually because i'm recording i'm we're at my my in-laws um in denmark and i'm Mm. in sitting in a bedroom with my laptop in my lap um on a bed recording their cats and i i I, i'm on antihistamines and just trying to like not die from cat allergy wow yeah that's a lot of adversity yes um we'll see how long this podcast will be (laughs) okay sounds good when my MacBook starts to burn through my lap, we'll have to stop. <laughs> yeah, so what's going on? That's such an open-ended question. Um, <laughs> I, I am... Yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting point in the, in the company's life uh, cycle history. I, I have a new... Um, I'll, yeah, I'll say team member... Um, the data scientist that's working with me and I'm going to be speaking with him in about an hour to go over the initial kind of data, data exploration efforts that he's um, embarked on. And uh, there's a clear scoped project for him to work on, which is exciting. Nice. Um, yeah. Can you talk um, about what it is? Sure. Sure. So uh, given his experience and we, we sorted this out before we sort of sign on the dotted line, he, he has direct experience with the Python um, modules that I'm using for some of the statistical trend casting, as I call it, which is just forecasting on trends. And, mm. you know, I know that I'm not using those as well as an expert would because I'm not an expert. I'm self-taught when it comes to that. Um, so just given his experience, uh, he's going to look at, look at how I'm using them. Um, and I had just had some, I started with a google doc full of questions that just said you know am i using this properly is this the right way to do this and is there a better way to do that and 
yeah, he's basically going to attack those questions. And I think the tr- the overall result will be the trends that the system produces will be um, better. And that'll both be better in the best case. And then to any extent that the trends that it's producing are faulty, worst case scenario, or just not um, ideal or, or not optimized, you know, they'll, they'll shift upwards as well in terms of quality. So I think, you know, the overall quality curve, if you will, will shift on the trends that I'm producing. And nice. Yeah, that's really nice because those end up being the inputs to the simulator. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, better, better quality input to the simulator will be better quality output of the simulator as well. So it'll have a downstream uh, effect that's positive. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's yeah. a cool project. Yeah, it it's, feels good that it's um, tightly scoped. You know, it's its own app within the app, if you will. And mm-hmm. um, we've been... So far, so good. He's uh, hit the ground running, and um, we'll see. Today is going to be a little bit more hands-on um, as opposed to getting ready to work. This is actually a working session, so um, so we'll see. So I'm getting uh, mentally ready for that, and then I have some maker time set aside for afterwards. Nice. Yeah. You uh, you've been making some announcements on Twitter as well. I saw. Yeah. Um, in certain investors, I'm, I'm going through, and to the extent that I can, um, asking investors beforehand if, if they're comfortable with it. Um, some angels would rather stay more anonymous um, rather than broadcast their their involvements. But uh, yeah, so far, I've been sharing the news about angels that joined the um, convertible note round for Summit. And a couple of those last week were uh, Farid Mosavat, who used to work at Slack and um also uh patio 11 or patrick mckenzie i guess most people know patio yeah yeah (laughs) most people do um and he was an investor in my last company as well so it was um it was fun to have his involvement again and you know just a lot of direct experience with the domain that i'm in obviously working Mm. in stripe now and he has a lot of strong opinions uh Weekly held, maybe strongly held. I have to ask him on uh, <laughs> on on the GDP of the internet, as Stripe likes to call it. So that was fun yeah. to get him involved, and um, and also Fareed. Uh, I announced last week, and Fareed used to, um, as of very recently, was at uh, Slack, uh, really director of their um, self service product uh, revenue. So mm. you can imagine the scope of responsibilities of that job, um, and you know, talk about SaaS revenue and seeing different SaaS business models and freemium model, enterprise freemium model. Exactly. So enterprise sales on top of freemium and self-service. So just an incredible breadth of experience. And uh, yeah. before that he was at Instacart and Zynga and Pixar among other places. So just inc- heard about them. <laughs> yeah. Heard about a few <laughs> of those things. Um, <laughs> that's actually his Twitter bio is uh, worked on some of the things you might've heard of uh <laughs> pretty accurate so so that was really yeah. cool and um got a fair amount of interest and then also i shared uh, there was a really cool um i'll just call it a blurb uh that andreessen horowitz pu- published in their blog about fintech trends in 2020 and this was at the end of last year but i noticed it because one of the account executives at plaid after i signed up for plaid um, which is exciting. That'll go live on the 15th of March um, uh, out of 
it will be out of beta on the 15th <laughs> of March. Um, he mentioned that blog post and said, sounds like you're automating the CFO suite. And he linked me to their um, blurb, which was in this longer blog post about their beliefs about what's happening to fintech. And sure enough, one of them was automating the CFO suite. And if anything was an accurate description of what I'm doing with Summit, that was. So I mentioned that. And um, what was cool about it is that, that Jeff Jordan, who's also at Andreessen Horowitz, he had published a pr- post previously called uh, Why Hire a CFO? And just really laid out the value of a chief financial officer for a startup and when that value comes into play. And I really had used that post before because it's very detailed and structured and I just want to meet on the bone. So I had dug into that post and used it to really think through how much of this value that a CFO offers can be productized and like how would that apply to startups in different stages assuming you could productize it and then really comparing it to a founder that just has a google spreadsheet to a founder that hires a finance director who has excel and experience with excel and then comparing that with maybe a you know a great cfo and that post is really really helpful so i shared those two together and got a fair amount of um attention on that one as well i think uh, a16z even retweeted it which was pretty awesome and the original author of both of those posts noticed uh what i had shared so it's just you know everyone knows i'm a, I'm a big fan of twitter but I, I love how it flattens the world like that it's just uh yeah. it's really cool really cool to be able to you know yeah. turn something that was a distant inspiration before to a direct interaction yeah that's cool sounds like there could be some good positioning material in those blog posts as well for you yeah very much so and i think that's becoming clearer lately um because of that twitter buzz the number of signups uh, went up last week which is great um you know i typically average you know one to three a day usually um, maybe on the weekends zero on certain days maybe like a sunday or something when everything's quiet um which is still you know almost 100 a month uh, kind of a steady yeah. trickle but um definitely numbers were about 2x last week because of all the uh, attention and some of those were very qualified and very interested. My my intercom messenger was actually uh, dinging a lot <laughs> last week. Nice. Um, yeah, like usually after the workday or like late in the workday, I'd start, get me- start getting messages from people who had seen it, signed up, and then said, does it do this? Does it do that? Um, interested in the API to push their metrics. And uh, one company in particular said, you know, they're right about at the median of a sign-up for Summit, which right now is about $400,000 a year in revenue. And they just said, you know, we are actively experimenting with growth plans and models and trying to figure out what we should do next. And, you know, can you help us? And I was like, yes, (laughs) yes, (laughs) very, very much so. That's perfect. Hold that thought. (laughs) And uh, we set up a meeting for this week where we're going to go through uh, what Summit can do for them. So that's just... It's exciting, and, and it gets actually to one other post um, that I read for the second time last week called Product User Fit Comes Before Product Market Fit. Mm. And yeah, I th- it's just a really helpful mental tool to add to your toolbox where I think it's easy to go from, I have an app, and it doesn't have much usage, and I need product market fit as if like that's the next step. Mm. And what the article lays out is like, hey, guys, 
take a step back for a second and just realize like the market means the market at large. And there's a stage before that where maybe you only have six, 16, or maybe even 60, or if it's a consumer app, 600 users, but they absolutely love it. And they're asking you, what else can it do? Because if it could do this, it would be even better. They're almost obnoxious in terms of how much they share it with their friends and other people that <laughs> might be a good fit. So they're evangelizing. Yeah. And basically the, the post says, you know, that is, that's what you should be focused on once you have the product built and you're out there in market, you know, post, you know, early access is gone. You're now just, and this is basically the phase I'm at right now where, you know, I'm working very closely with four, four to five startups right now to really nail the premium version of the product. And that's kind of why the premium version launch keeps getting delayed is that I'm really crystallizing like what it is that they needed to do and it's getting better and better. And then once I feel like they're very happy, I've got that product user fit, those power users are happy, you know, then let's go share it with the market and try to establish a market presence. But you really can't skip that phase. And it's, I don't think most people try to skip it, but it's nice to have just some a hook, right? A mental yeah. hook to hang your hat on. Yeah, I love that. It gives me hope. <laughs> well, you're there too, right? Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. It reminds me of what, as well of the um, Mike Maples Jr. and his value hacking phase. I think there's a big overlap there. Completely agree. Yeah, exactly. And, and if you want to even set this alongside fundraising stages, I think pre-seed is probably get the product out the door so that you can have the chance at product user fit. I think yeah. seed, seed is really nailing and deepening product user fit with a with that initial set of cohorts. It's not just one, if you're talking about monthly, but you know maybe it's six months worth of signups or even mm. a year's worth of signups. And then that series A is let's go get the other you know, X percent of the market that really should be doing this too, but we've got to reach them through these channels. And, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it just, which really helps me right now, since I just got finished raising this convertible note round of what's the purpose of those funds. And if, I, if, and when I go raise that next round, that seed round, where do I want to be by then? And yeah. what will the purpose of that money be? So, um, so I, I think, yeah, I know last episode I was a little stressed out about the lack of maker progress, but I think last week really boosted my, um, well, it gave me perspective, I'll put it that way. In terms of the grand picture, I'm tracking where I want to be. And I finished the week really, um, finished the week in a great frame of mind um, with a conversation with one of my early power users and just super clear list of how they would use one one feature one very specific feature which is mostly written um and it's that ramp up feature that we we talked about a few episodes ago and it was just great because i was like once this is built the application is really deep for them they're going to be you know there's no going back at that point product user fit is nailed at least for that one person and then i can go you know to many others and and uh, spread the good news yeah so nice yeah, so last week was um it was a nice uplift compared to the week before. <laughs> so 
happy about that. Did you listen to the Mike Maples Jr. interview on the Knowledge Project, the Farnham Street podcast? I didn't. I didn't. Oh, I was dude. It's one of the best podcasts this year. I think. Okay. For startups. I can, I can only imagine. I mean, both of those guys. I love the way their brains work. Yeah, I mean, Shane Paris is just incredibly smart, and the the cool thing is, um, Shane is asking Mike Maples about mental models a lot because he has a lot of mental models about startups. And then he asked him, like, kind of like, how did you get interested in mental models? And he's like, I was reading the Farnham Street blog, and you're talking about mental models and Charlie Munger and stuff. So I sort of like nice. dived in, and he really loved it. So he kind of like adopted that into his, like the way he worked with investments and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really cool. Like, you could just tell that they have really good chemistry, and they just have so much to share. Um, That's awesome. For th for those and, that don't, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. I was going to say, for those that don't know, um, like a mental model, or if, if folks want to just dip their toes into it, it's the concept is, um, and actually curious what, what you've taken away, but it's basically the idea that you're always approaching life with a certain frame, framing or perspective. And typically it comes with a lot of just methods and ways of thinking through a problem. And in that famous Char uh, Charles Munger commencement speech, which is on the even on the Y Combinator website at this point, but um, he basically goes through and says every discipline, whether it's biology or um, statistics, math, algebra, physics, you know, each of those you could think of as a mental model and a way of thinking about a space or a problem, and a really gifted. Um, analyst or just just a great approach to life is to recognize which one of those you're using right now and try a different one on and see if yeah. that changes your understanding of the problem or the space and yeah it's really cool i mean yeah very practical too if you get if you get good at it it's very practical <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um the thing that kind of like stuck with me most was um when Mike Maples Jr. talks about um, the value hacking phase, as I just mentioned. Um, and th the thing he said really resonated with me. Like he he talks a lot about how, why, like un when you're trying to figure out <laughs> that part of the startup journey, it's the only thing that matters. Like you don't care about, you don't care about like going out, finding customers or you don't care about like growth hacking and all that stuff. It just doesn't matter until you figure it out. And one, I think one of the things he said was basically what you're trying to do is get to a point where you don't have to help people understand why they should sign up for your thing, but you should just help them sign up. Like that wow. should be your job. Like you should get to a point where that's your job is just to, you know, help them because they want it and they're like begging for it. Wow. <laughs> and I, it, yeah, that really resonated with me. That's really good. And it also like gives me confidence because I think there's a very, very strong bias in this bootstrapper startup community about like, why are you not making any money? Or like, why are you not charging more people? Or why are you not doing sales? And why are you not selling your thing? And it's like, because I'm, tr th that's not what I'm trying to do right now. Like I, I don't, I, for like the way that I kind of like see things or like my mental model, essentially, mm -hmm. that's not what I should be doing right now. And like, that's not the kind of like the signals I'm looking right now or the signals I'm looking for right now 
it's not necessarily money. It's like a certain kind of user with a certain kind of like reaction to my product. And until I get the right signals there, I don't worry too much about the other parts actually. And if I run out of money before I figure it out, it's too bad. But I'm not going to try to do a bunch of sales with before I figure out the value hacking phase, essentially. Yeah, and and there's maybe a little bit of like a clash of of trends here where product led growth is you know coming of coming to life here. Um, the product leads growth in revenue. The product leads everything. Yeah. And yeah. you, you know, what I hear you saying is, I mean, you just redid your marketing site as well. And it's doing a great job of selling the value compared to, you know, compared to the old one. So yeah. you are investing in selling, but it comes after the product leads the way in terms of, you know, the marketing site is a, a reflection of yeah. the products movement or repositioning, not the other way around. And yeah, but the know, positioning you, stuff is kind of like it's a tool in the tool belt for like how to figure out the value hacking stuff. Cause yeah, you, yeah, cause you could double down on certain things in the product and the marketing side once you like this. Cause before you can like hack the value, you kind of like need to understand like what value you want to try to deliver at least. Yeah. And, and honestly, when, when folks say, you know, sell more, I really want to know what they mean by that because. If they mean, you know, make phone calls and convince people to sign up, it's it's a little, you know, you're doing customer development. You're understanding your users. You're working directly with users. Um, selling in terms of actually convincing them to sign up and pay uh, really wouldn't prove anything about your startup from a, I mean, it will prove willingness to pay, but all it all it says or that is I'm a good sell, salesperson. Or that you're a good salesperson, right? Exactly. Like, early sales these are all the same things that you know the same things that people worry about with the mom test is that yeah just because they like you peter and because a lot of people don't like conflict they might give you their credit card number but that does not tell you yeah. anything about your your SaaS um yeah. app's ability to grow when you're not no. around <laughs> i right? got like a, before i built branch i got six people in like a day or something i got six people to pay for three months up front without having the product. And it was really easy for me to do that. But and none of them are paying for it right now. And I, I, right. I mean, I could probably spend, like I could, you know, harass them. I could put them in like a cold email sequence or like I, I, could, I could find ways to like spend more energy trying to convince them. Mm-hmm. But I just don't, I don't see the point right now. Well, and, like and, I'd rather and, just admit yeah. that my product is not right for them right now. And sure. either maybe they're the wrong people or the product is not where it should be or a combination. Yeah. And, and your product has, you know, there's, where's the risk in your business, right? So if you want to approach this like with, with the, uh, I just want to say like lean startup hat on for a second, but like what, wh- where's the risk in the overall picture? Is it, you know, assume people are engaged with the product and things are going well. Are you really worried that they're not going to convert? No. I'm not. I'm not for you, and it's good. Good. I'm glad you're not because it does seem to me that your monetization is, um, I, I don't want to say automatic, but it's it's you're you've chosen an inevitable way to monetize 
high engagement users in terms of eventually they have to pay to keep, mm. you know, right? So they, they don't have to, but you have a very natural progression, right? Where yeah. um, based on the number of builds, like this is this is a thing and they're going to face this paywall. So what would you be de-risking or what would you be proving by getting yeah. them to pay? If I got them to pay upfront, for example, like maybe maybe there is an argument that they would be more committed to like get it up and running because they paid for it or they committed to like a month or something like that. But at the same time, I'm just like creating more. First of all, it's friction for them to sign up. And second of all, it's just creating more. It's it's creating more problems for me if I get a bunch of people to pay for something that that isn't right for them. Right. Yeah. So I might as well like kind of like take it step by step and get them in and see if it's right for them and work with them to like get it, you know, improve the product, make sure it's the right people and the right positioning and the right messaging and the right features and the right value that I'm delivering. And then kind of like get them through the funnel that way, which is yeah. the product led growth, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's, there's no one, you know, right answer. And in, in other cases, if somebody launches a SaaS and it's in a very competitive space and it's very clear that, you know, what the tier should be and monetization should be. And, you know, when I put a credit card form on it, like I get that, but I don't think you can just take that approach of get to monetization as quickly as possible and assume that that leads you to a global maxima in all cases, because yeah. I think, I think in some cases you're actually going to, uh, hamper your growth because you, um, you missed it. Like you missed the bigger opportunity. Yeah. I kind of think, it's the start. It's I keep coming back to the thing you've been talking about, like basically the startups versus just small businesses, mm-hmm. uh, small software businesses. And I feel like when you say that now we're going to do sales and marketing, and that's going to be our main priority because we have a product, or like so you basically say we can't just keep like developing because that's what people are worried about, right? Like they worry that they're just going to like keep building features because they think the next <laughs> feature is going to make or break everything. Um, so they say, okay, we're worried about like overinvesting in the product. So we're going to spend, now we're going to spend our resources in, on sales and marketing. But it's like, if you, if you imagine your startup as like a growth curve and the moment you say, now let's invest in sales and marketing, like, but maybe it's cause I have my product glasses on, but that basically I feel like you're locking in a certain level of growth instead, like. I, I, the way I think about it is the more time you spend like in the value hacking phase, you can get like a, a, a curve or a product, like a growth curve that looks much more like it, it will be really small because you don't have a lot of volume, but you work on improving the growth curve like way, way earlier and you'll make your future marketing and sales life much easier. Um, so you try to spend more time there to lock in like a higher growth curve. It's kind of like, maybe that's my mental model. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, if the value isn't right, sales is not going to be easy anyway. Um, you know, what you're aiming for, if really product market fit is this, you can barely keep up with market demand. Yeah. You obviously think, have to get the value right. Yeah. I think like when you improve the value, like when the value goes up, the like sales and marketing becomes potentially like exponentially easier. So you get a way different curve. Well, you know, look at plaid, for example, who I just signed up with, like I 
I had a hard time getting a hold of a sales team member just to buy the thing, which I'm not <laughs> saying that's a good thing. Like that's bad. Like clearly that's not the ideal. It's not what they want, but it's a pretty amazing sign that, you know, I got on the phone. It was very clear that I was talking to a, you know, a sales development rep. They had a process qualified my interest, <laughs> passed me on to somebody else. And like I bought the thing, but it was so easy for the sales team in that case. And I'm not saying Plaid doesn't have hard deals. I'm sure they do. They were just helping you buy it, right? They like were they just had. helping me buy the darn thing. And I didn't need any convincing that it was that, that the value was there. The product did so much of the sales work, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. yeah. And I guess you, yeah, I mean that's what you're you're that's what you're figuring out is like how much of the sales work is the product going to do. And it's hard to argue with the more it does the better because it is infinitely cheaper to have it do the sales work than for a human yeah. being. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, the knowledge project um yeah. interview with Mike Maples Jr. Highly, cool. highly recommended podcast. Nice. Um, can't recommend it enough. Cool. Sounds like a link yeah. in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um yeah, so this week we decided to work on the testing stuff I talked about last time, the Google Lighthouse um, speed test and SEO testing accessibility. Um, so basically kind of what we decided is let's see how fast we can get a working prototype, even if it's not like the solution we want in the end, but there's just so many moving pieces to this thing of like command line tools that need to run with like a headless Chrome thing. And you get uh, test results that you need to store and you need to make sure like you have, the old test results and there is a lot of different edge cases um, and a lot of tricky things you need to build for the UI to make this available. And um, mm. so we want to see like what's like, let's build a super hacky prototype that we can test maybe just on the branch website um, just to kind of like feel well, like basically what we want to see is we want to see how it feels to use it. Yeah. Um, and then I send out a tweet about um, if anyone wanted to beta test this, I didn't get a ton of uh, interest. Um, I hope to get a little bit more, actually. Um, but it might, you know, that might just be the timing of the tweet. Um, but an interesting thing was that three people, like kind of like strategic people at three different big, very big, actually, hosting companies, three of the biggest hosting companies, yeah. retweeted my tweet. <laughs> um and I took that as a very good signal that at least the hosting companies, they see the value in the solution that we're trying to build. Very cool. Um, and there is actually, there's a project in WordPress uh, doing similar things, but mostly mostly for the WordPress plugin and theme directory. And some of the big hosting companies are actually sponsoring that project. Um, so they do have some sort of like interest from like an R&D perspective. Um, and it kind of made me think like maybe there's even a way for a branch to like get some sort of like sponsorship thing because um, it will be very valuable for a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah. It was cool to see like at least those people thought it was interesting. <laughs> so I, I, I took that as a good signal. Yeah. So are you saying that like more work to be done to scope this thing? Yeah. So again, like we're back like at the bottom of the hill chart. And we're kind of like trying to see like what like what's the fastest way we can get to the top just to like kind of get a better overview. 
because the way we we schedule our time, like we only have three weeks to build the first version of this. So hopefully like we can get some sort of working prototype in a couple of days. And then based on that, like we could build like an actual solution. Okay. Um, I think this project will be involve more maker time as well for me, because it's very much like a front end and back end. And there's a lot of intricacies around how the build system works. Um, and I set all that up. So I just have more experience with it. So I think just naturally, like I'll be more involved in this project. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, not too much to report yet, but I think like a lot of the hard, hard work has been done for us already, like with the different command line tools and stuff that's available. Um, it's pretty incredible. Like how much stuff you just get for free, basically open source. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. Um, Based on the on the manager's side, I I'm trying to be more structured with things. Um, I've been try like I've been experimenting every week with like different ways to structure my own time. The the one of the problems I have is just I put too much in my to do list when I plan my week on Sundays, and it it leaves me with a feeling that I only get half of the work done every day. Yeah, and but it is it's just super stupid because you know I work fairly hard and. Like if every day I only get half of the work done, then maybe like the easiest solution is just to like put less work on my plate. Yep. Um, so I'm trying, I'm thinking delegation more and then I'm thinking um, more like structured processes. So like one of the things I've had on my to-do list for a long time is start reaching out to people when they sign up. Um, so obviously you can have like automated workflows and stuff in user list. And I do have that now, but um it's like, for me, like, I want to be more, I, I want to do some research on the different users, especially if it's, you know, I can tell that it's someone who works for a good, like a big agency or something. Like they, I want to give them like a warm welcome basically and like learn more about them. Um, but I just know, like, I just don't do it. Like this, I need to have like, either I had need to have a task on my list that's like go for this specific person and reached out to them. Um, or it need like, it needs to be another system. So I don't just like, cause if the to-do list item just says like, start reaching out to people, I, I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah. so what I wanted to do was I wanted to take all the new, um, signups and pipe them into notion somehow but I couldn't find a way to do that. So the first thing I found out was userless don't have a Zapier integration. So I think I would have to do something on my own, but then I realized basically all my events in userless come from segment. So thankfully segment, well, when you go on the Zapier website, they say that they don't have a segment integration, but when you go on the segment website, they do have a Zap, like they have a Zapier integration. Hmm. So in your segment UI, you can send data to Zapier but you can set it up from within Zapier. Like you need to do it from the segment UI. Hmm. Um, but that was pretty fairly easy. Um, and then I had to pipe it into Trello because Notion doesn't have a Zapier integration, which I thought was weird. But it's probably the same thing. Like you talked about the sales, like get, it's hard to get in touch with a salesperson. Like if your Notion size and you don't have a Zapier integration, it's just probably just because you're growing a lot and you don't even care like about yeah. the Zapier integration because you have like a million other things to do. Right, right. Um, so now I'm getting people into a Trello board and then kind of like from there, okay. like each person is a card. 
So it's more like each person is a to-do item, hmm. um, which works better like with my brain, I think, because it's like you take one person and kind of like as a CRM system, you move them through the pipeline. That's good. Yeah, I like the idea of a card per user. I mean, those become you know, interesting learnings for other people as well. I mean, I suppose if you put them in Notion, it'd be the same effect, but yeah. um, you know, they're sticky so you can accumulate knowledge there. Yeah, so I'm trying to do that and then treat it more as like, not a sales pipeline, but kind of like a sales pipeline. Like these people already signed up, which is a great um, sign. <laughs> so if they're also working for an agency or like they look like they're like a fairly successful freelancer, I should be talking to them. So I'm that's one thing I'm working on. Then I'm kind of like trying to do the same thing with the partnerships. So basically be more structured and say, okay, we want to build a recipe with this hosting company. What's like the full journey? Like who are the people we need to get in touch with? And what are the things we need to send them? And what are the kind of like the things that they need to commit to before we do the work on our end? And kind of like the thing I realized is it's just, it's too unstructured to just like, you talk to someone at a hosting company, they're like, sure, like we'll do some co-promotion with you if you if you build like a built recipe or something in your tool. But so the, the context here is a new hosting company reached out and asked like how they could basically work with us. Um, and I told them like, we can build a built recipe. And then when we do that, we'd expect you to do some co-promotion with us. Um, and they're like, sure, that sounds good. That would be amazing. And we're happy to do some co-promotion. And then I think I send the screenshot to you of that email. And I was like, how, like, how can I, first of all, like, how can I structure this and make it a more like concrete ask, um, or like a, a, some more like measurable output, basically, how can we, how can we at think of this as like a sales pipeline? Right. Right. So like, cause, and what I told you was like co-promotion, it's super vague. Right. And for me, like an, a retweet on Twitter, it's not enough to like for me to build a built recipe for your hosting company and you to do a retweet is not enough. Um, like it's your users and it's way easier for you to get in touch with them than it is for me. And if you think that this is valuable for them, like we should make sure that they know about it. And then in your answer, like one of the words you used, you said like you need to like find out what the qualified promotions are. And I, I really love that term. So I've been thinking about it quite a bit. Like, qualified promotions so basically how i think about it now is like i should come up with a list mm -hmm. of like qualified promotions so it could be like a guest post or a tweet or like add branch to like your documentation or something like that mm -hmm. and maybe say like we we like this is our list of qualified promotions we agreed to two or three items or something like that and then on the day we release the build recipe you do your thing and we do our thing and that's kind of like, you know, our handshake agreement. Um, yeah. It made me think a lot, like, what? how do you think I should approach this? Because I really like the idea. Yeah. It's, it becomes sales. And I like when it's sales because then, then it's more like concrete or measurable. Yeah. I mean, the, the qualified promotion is basically a way of saying there are certain things that count and there are certain things that don't count. And everything counts a little. But qualified promotion is these lists of things. Um, you know, telling people at a conference about it doesn't qualify maybe because it's neither official nor structured nor lasting, right? Um, and so you could come up with a list of, you know, here are some 
durable evergreen promotion methods like a blog mm-hmm. post, you know, or, you know, a video or documentation on your website that everyone that's going to stay up to date and everyone's going to read, you know, pick one of those, right. Or two of those, depending on how yeah. high you want the bar to be. And then here's some lightweight things, which are all about the pop and the initial buzz and interest and, you know, pick one of those. It could be, you know, having me on your podcast, it could be a tweet. And so you could easily say, you know, here's a menu of six items, three in each bucket, pick at least one of each and we'll create a recipe. And that feels a lot more fair because you're doing something very with, with durable, uh, well-defined value that's going to be there forever. They need to do more than something that's just transient and just going to help you in the short term. Yeah. I love and that. Then, yeah. And then, and then it's like, now you're both looking at a sort of a contract um, yeah. of sorts. Even if it's and, just an email, it's just, it's yeah. still sort of a contract. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an, it's a presumed accountability where you're going yeah, to yeah. say, next time they reach out and say, Hey, have you built the recipe yet? You can say, um, well, I haven't prioritized it yet. I was waiting to hear back from you about which of those qualified promotions you wanted to do. And do you have timelines on those? And just always go back to that. And, um, makes it easy Then they can send it to their marketing team and say, Hey, can you get these in the queue and tell me, you know, when we would get these out by, and then they come back to you and they say, Hey, we can have that stuff out by March 30th. You say, great, yeah. we'll have your recipe ready and waiting. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Because like one of the things I always get is like our content calendar is full for the, this quarter, but like maybe we could get something in for Q2. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, that's great. Just let me know when it's out and then we can release the recipe. <laughs> exactly. And and giving them we a little don't, bit more yeah. guidance is going to let them not just put a tweet in their queue. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, as great as I they are. That. One yeah. thing like I really want them to do as well, but I don't know how I could go about that. But like basically what I want, especially like the hosting companies that have sales engineers or like solution engineers or even like even like customer success almost, but at least like the solution engineers, um, solutions engineers, um, like I want them to know about it. But I don't know, like, because it's not an ask. It's definitely not an ask I can do with all the hosting companies. But and maybe it's not like maybe it shouldn't be a criteria, but maybe it's more like like I could offer them to do like a a webinar, like some sort of like demo for their team or like, I don't know, like, how could I say that or present that in a way that that they want to do that? Because you know, the, when this becomes really valuable is when the people out there like in the field talking to agencies and stuff have this in their arsenal. Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts to get into motivations and incentives quite quickly. So, yeah. um, you know, I've, when I've done partnerships that run, you know, sales partnerships, it's, um, it's actually a problem um, it can be a problem when, you know, one person that's say a sales, uh, individual latches onto something and like races ahead also yeah. it just creates chaos. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like the idea of the webinar or the training session, but you really need to get in touch with whoever manages those people and find out, you know, their priorities and where this fits. And now you're getting into more actual partnership because, you know, you can always create, like, put a bookmark in people's brains and say, hey, here's some content. Feel free to share it with your people on the front lines. 
But if you want them to be motivated or incentivized, then it, it actually turns into a management exercise of what collateral do they need, et cetera. So I'm not, I'm not familiar enough with the sales like that's going on here, but yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if I could say a week before we release the recipe, we should like, I should get on a call with at least some of your people like in the field. So for your hosting company, I don't know if it's your like customer success reps or if it's your solutions engineers or your sales engineers, but at least like I should, I should have a call with someone who will be talking to users about this. So we make sure that they understand how this works. And like, like the way I could phrase it was like, they need to be comfortable with me. And like, they know that they can get in touch with me if there's like a problem with as like setting up one of their, like the customers they work with, like yeah. they, they can have a, like a direct line to me so we can work on fixing the issues and kind of like talk about it more as like a relationship kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. So what, what I, what you might want to try first is, you know, creating that meeting, depending on the size of the organization, creating that meeting might be a challenge, but I'm sure that those, you know, customer success managers or solutions engineers, they already have standing meetings yeah. to learn about things. So you could ask someone, how do those people find out about new things? And what's like sometime over the next N weeks, you know, what's the best venue or standing yeah. meeting, et cetera, for yeah. this to be shared? And can I be on that call? Would it make sense for me to be there? Or you know, how do I make sure that they get the information that they need? Because this is already happening, right? Like it, you hope that branch is not the only thing that gets yeah. injected yeah, yeah, yeah. into their, their world. So you need to find out like, Hey, when stuff like this happens, how do those folks get up to speed on it? And yeah. whatever the answer is, you probably just want to kind of blend into that, you know? Yeah. Cause the, the thing is like one thing to say as well is, when we release a recipe and you do your co-promotion, like pro- like most, or well, hopefully, like some of your users will start using this and they might have questions and maybe they'll ask the questions to your people instead of going to branch directly. So like, how do we make sure that they have a good experience when they need help? Yeah, and so you could say, you know, this is sort of tongue in cheek, but it's like, we don't want your customers to be, um, we, we, we don't want your frontline people to be caught off guard or, no. you know, etc. I've never heard of branch. Like that's pretty awkward. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We don't want that. Ha ha. So yeah. how do we prevent that? And you can just like, again, even the, even you're suggesting that we have a meeting, right. Or that we inject materials into an existing meeting or venue is solving a problem for them. Yeah. Exactly. If you surface the problem instead and say, we don't want them to be caught off guard and suddenly, get asked questions about branch that they haven't heard of how are we going to solve that yeah and like let them tell you yeah 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 that's, how they're I, going that's to the solve way that. i think that's the way to phrase it yeah 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 because it's their business and yeah in theory they have a way of making sure that doesn't happen so then then your question is oh okay great this that's how how can we support that now yeah. you're in a supporting role rather than a leading role and that's going to drain you a lot less from trying to make stuff happen yeah. And if it turns out that they don't have an appetite to make sure that people aren't caught off guard, <laughs> then, you know, that's their decision. You actually yeah. just saved yourself a whole lot of effort trying to, you know, go upstream and yeah. you just say, okay, well, here's some documentation in case somebody asks and they want to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, quick uh, rapid fire question. Um, Notion as like basically partnership information document because we talked about the PDF and I do have a PDF, but it'll need to be redesigned with like the new messaging. And I don't like designing stuff, but like if you send someone a Notion document, like you don't expect it to be designed. <laughs> hmm. Good or bad? You're talking about sharing information with the other. Yeah, so you share. Like that's how I th- I see a lot of people do that these days. Like they literally just send a link to Notion, and I, you have like you can only see like that specific page. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Um, I, I it could. I'm trying to think of the experience there. Like if if putting a link into their intranet or sharing a link around their Slack or whatever is the way that they would disseminate that information. Then that's fine, Interesting, but yeah, you know the benefit of that is that it doesn't go stale, right? That's that's one argument. But um, you know, how it, important is it that the PDF is designed? Like, if it was a Notion generated PDF, I think if it has your branding, that's yeah, you know, I, um, <laughs> and I know that they're uh, their line spacing and kerning is not the best, um, but as long as it <laughs> it's has better uh, in PDFs, I think. Okay. I think as long as it has your branding, it's fine. And you could basically put a little thing on there that says, you know, version, version with a date on it. And, and, you know, if you update it, you're just going to have to send them a new one. I, I do think PDFs are still like the, I hate to say it, like it's still the universal format for businesses to share information. It's, It's hard for me to imagine somebody wanting to go to a website to see something when, I mean, the more sales oriented somebody is and in that world, it's all about attachments and yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think probably I'll just do PDF. The PDF right now I has like, it has the version stamp in it. It was a way to kind of communicate that. I just, I didn't write this PDF right now, just to send to you. Like it's been Mm -hmm. shared with other people and it's been evolving. Cool. Yeah. So I think I'll experiment with that. I, I, I mentioned like how I'm, I'm trying to structure my time, but basically where I'm at right now is having like two or three big big things in a week that I try to focus on. And then I don't necessarily say which days I'm going to do what. I'm just like, I know I have a week and I know these are the things I want to work on. That's that's smart. Yeah, I, I think no more than three primary objectives for the week is a good, is a good yeah. list. Yeah. And if you want to add more like, then maybe you have to start thinking about like why you want to add more. Like why are those two or three things not big enough? Yeah. My, my, my check for that is always, if this set of things is done, will I feel like I had a successful week? Yeah. And then, and then, and then you add, you can, anything else goes into a secondary goal list. And those are the things where if you finish the other things and there's time left over, <laughs> those are fair game. Right? Yeah. One of my uh, one of my things for March is actually thinking about how to 10x signups because it's like we're doing a lot of stuff on the product right now and a lot of positioning. One thing we did actually that I didn't mention is we just and we just released it this morning. Um, Bjorn like completely redesigned the onboarding flow, so and kind of the whole app actually how the navigation works. So it's much more like it feels like a, a real app right now and basically one of the problems was that you always had to click around and it wasn't intuitive how to click around, but like no matter which page you're on right now, you can get to the most important things pretty easily. 
Mm. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that improves the onboarding flow. Um, but anyways, what I'm thinking now is like me tweeting out and like, you know, getting a couple of people in and like trying out the thing is like, it's fine. Like while we're testing things, but like we, we do have a much more solid product right now. And it is time for me to start to think about like, what are things I can do that would actually like really, really make a difference in terms of like people signing up so we can get some more data on if all this stuff is actually working. Awesome. Cause it's, cool. it's just different to think like, how do I get, how do I get more users and how do I get 10 times more users? Yes. That's a step change for sure. It helps you and, prioritize like <laughs> things you work on. Yeah. And, and that's, this is actually a point that I talked, um, I was talking with uh, Corey Haynes of Barometrics last week about this, that one thing to, you know, keep in mind is as a startup, you're, you know, it's so easy to get confused of like percentage increases versus absolute increases in things. And, yeah. you know, we, 10x changes, you know, maybe a few 3x changes can add up to something big. But yeah. you're in the land of 10x changes for a very long time to get something significant off the ground you have to multiply everything by 10 over yeah. and over and over again <laughs> so yeah i'm glad you're thinking about 10x changes because you know a 20 percent increase is insignificant at this point yeah my friend david who's a vp of web strategy at wp engine he was talking on twitter the other day about basically in marketing like if you're split testing the colors of a bottom like that's just not gonna make a big difference long term like that's not that's not those 10 exchanges, right? Right. Well, I mean, like no color change is ever going to make a 10 X difference. No, no. Or, well, maybe it's very weird, but then, no, it's, it's not going to, I mean, the, the point with the, the only, and this is not a counterpoint to that, but like the only, the, the reason that's not a universal truism and it's not always fair is, is that if you're Procter and Gamble and you're thinking yeah. about <laughs> the labeling on your detergent, right. Then, you kind of are in the land of of small optimizations, right? Yeah, and, and that, think, then that matters. But guess, like startups, guys, no, <laughs> you're not there yet, right? You're, yeah, you're he was there. talking about agencies, like building up an agency, and it's like if you want to big a, build a big successful agencies, like there's probably almost never a time where you should spend your time like tweaking the colors of a bottom and like split testing it. Yeah, oh, it's split. Te- yeah, you, you're not going to a b test your way to this, and and that's the other no. thing too. When you, when you are at scale or you're at some, you know, point where the numbers are significant, saying, hey, our close rate right now is 4%. Can we get it up to 6 The other thing you remember at that point is that going from 4% to 6% is a 50% improvement to a major yeah. metric. That actually is really hard because you do have so much volume, right? Yeah. But in, in, our, in our stage, if it's not a 10x, it's probably not at the top of the priorities list. Nope. Cool. All right. Just a quick All right. thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks for the partnership advice. <laughs> sure. Anytime. I'll talk to you next week. All right, sir. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.